0: have a, a Bible that you brought along with you today, or you want to use your phone, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll start reading in verse number 24 here in just a couple of minutes. I want to talk to you this morning about a mystery or a secret. I, I love the game of golf, and one of my favorite golfers is um, was Ben Hogan. And Ben Hogan, for years, lived in mystique and shadow because they thought he had some sort of secret to his golf swing in fact it became known as the secret so time magazine golf digest would always have someone supposing what his secret was and he was asked many different times what was your secret and and he would answer you know very veiled sometimes not really giving specifics and and usually his most common answer was simply when they would say, what's your secret? And he would say, I dug it out of the ground, which really didn't answer anything, but also would give credit to the amount of time he spent practicing or hitting golf balls. But I want to talk to you this morning about an even greater secret, because there's many of you this morning that are still struggling and working in your mind to try to figure out how in the world am I supposed to live this Christian life that the Bible talks about. And we run to many different things. And the first place we go, because we're human beings, is to this idea called religion. That there's something that I have to do, or somebody that I have to be, that there's some way that I can do enough, earn enough, make people like me enough, especially God, that I can earn His favor and I can be religious. And we see a lot of religious people. And you may have been a religious person, or you may know religious people. But that's not the secret. Some people look around and think there's got to be some sort of hidden knowledge. or well, there's just something we don't know. There's, a, there's this higher plane. There's like Christianity 2.0. There's like a graduate school of faith that I need to enter into to figure out what it means to be a Christian. And that something is only revealed to a select few, that if somehow everything is aligned in the right way, God chooses to reveal it to him. And that's simply not the case. But what I want to talk to you today is the great mystery that Paul reveals to the Colossians in his letter that God reveals to us through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that simply is this, that Christ in you, lived out through you, brings hope for today and glory in the future. And that is the secret to the Christian life. Christ in you, lived out through you, is the secret ...of the Christian life. Join me in reading as we start in verse 24... ...as we begin to unpack these verses. We're going to read a bit about Paul's ministry. We'll talk a bit about Paul's ministry... ...his ministry of suffering, his ministry of prayer... ...his ministry of preaching... ...and then we'll look specifically at the phrase... ...Christ in you, the hope of glory. But starting in verse number 24... ...listen as Paul writes to the Colossians... ...Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit Rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. God, we praise you today that we have this wondrous opportunity to open up and study your word together. And we ask for you to give us insight, direction, and guidance by your Holy Spirit as we study it together. Lord, bring truth to our minds and to our hearts and transform us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in these verses, starting in verse number 24 and all the way through chapter 2, verse 5, Paul is giving a description or an account of his ministry. Now, other times in the past when Paul would do this, he would do it to, to give a defense for his calling as an apostle. But here, the purpose to the Colossians is he's giving them words of encouragement. He's using himself as an example to encourage them in their faith. Now, Paul, we said a few weeks ago, he never went to Colossae. He didn't start the church, but he ministered directly to a man called Epaphras, who was responsible not only for starting the church there in Colossae, but also in Laodicea, in the area around there. And so Paul indirectly was responsible for part of this ministry, and he wants him to understand what this ministry looked like. And he describes it in terms of, first of all, suffering. See, Paul didn't just suffer for the sake of suffering. We know that if we we suffer just because it's painful, that there's no purpose. But he suffered for the gospel, for the Lord. And he suffered in the example of Jesus for the benefit of other people. He didn't just do it for him. Himself and he considered suffering to be a necessary part of his life as a Christian, as a an apostle. It was expected of other Christians. There shouldn't be a a time in our life when we should expect that we shouldn't suffer. And he also brought to light the fact that in his sufferings it helped him to identify with his Lord and with his Savior. Now we have to be careful when we read this, because when he says that he's adding to the sufferings of Jesus, we need to be very careful that we understand that He's not talking about there's something necessary to add to the process of salvation. That when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, that salvation was a, a perfect, completed work. Some people believe in other, other faiths that, that there's a sort of suffering, a penance that, that is involved, that if you, you need to suffer in some way for you to be saved. But that's not what Paul is saying here. But he does say that there is a deep fellowship that is possible in the midst of suffering. And those that do suffer for his sake enjoy a special communion or a closeness with the Savior. If you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or if you've walked through that, then you will know the intense comfort that the good shepherd can provide. And Paul found the good shepherd in the midst of his suffering and he found joy in the midst of it. As well. And so he suffered. He endured for their benefit. But he also was involved in a ministry of, of prayer. He prayed for those folks. He interceded. He had a deep concern for them that led him to intense prayer. He was involved in not a physical struggle, but he was involved in a spiritual struggle for their well being, not only for the Colossians, but for the Laodiceans and for what he says he calls those people that have not seen him face to face. And he prayed specifically for them to be encouraged in their hearts, that they would be unified, knit together in love, and that their faith would be enriched. Specifically, he said they would reach all the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge, that they would grow in their faith. And when you and I have the privilege of praying for someone or interceding for one another, we bring people and their needs before God. And we join together with Jesus because he lives forever to intercede for us. And so we are involved in a special partnership with Jesus in the privilege of praying for others. And I will tell you that some of the most impactful work that you or I can do for God's kingdom is in the place of prayer. Praying for brothers and sisters who are standing firm for their faith in Iran is one example. We can pray locally. We can pray for congregations around us like South Burleson who recently called a a new pastor, his name's Drew, and pray that that God would lead them to to thrive and grow in the place that he's placed them. Or for a brother and a sister that we know that's just struggling, that needs encouragement, that needs strengthening. We can enter into that partnership with Jesus in the ministry of prayer or intercession, intercession. An intercession is simply where a deep concern leads to intense prayer for God to move. If you've experienced that in your life, you know what it is when there's a difficult situation or a sickness and there is a deep concern, and the only place you can turn to is God and you're asking for Him to move. And that's what Paul prayed often, was for with the urgency of the time that was short, that God would move in these places like Colossae and Laodicea for the growth of the gospel and the benefit of his kingdom. But Paul also describes in here a ministry of preaching, and this will help us narrow our focus for what we're talking about this morning, about the revealing of this mystery. And Paul was appointed by God. You may remember Acts chapter 9 when he's talking to Ananias about this divine commission. It comes up that he is God's chosen instrument, hand-picked. He was a minister or a servant of God. He was a steward who was given a sacred trust, a special purpose, and that was to go and be the missionary or the apostle to the Gentiles, to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And this mission that god called him to was for the benefit of others given for those it was given to me paul says for you for the benefit of others and his purpose in this preaching was to make the word of god fully known to to declare god's word totally and completely if you ever remember hearing one of those old-timey preachers like J. Vernon McGee, they would say something like, I just want to bring out to you the whole counsel of the Word of God. You know, and they say it like that. You know, that, like this is what their job is, the whole counsel of the Word of God. And preachers then, preachers in Paul's time, preachers today, the responsibility is to deliver God's message. To feed the flock from the bread of the, the Word. Paul, when he's about to depart the Ephesians in Acts 20, he says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you that whole truth or counsel of God's word. In that ministry, he calls proclamation, that there is an open declaration, plainly spoken, that would share the facts and not ideas. So Paul shared facts, truth about God. He didn't share personal opinions. And he warned everyone he met and he taught everyone that he was able to. That's what basically he says there. I want to warn everyone and teach everyone with a goal of making them mature in Christ. He wanted to grow up fully grown Christians and he knew that they required nourishment from all of God's Word. I'm learning in this area of of preaching, and, and I take the, the process very, very seriously, and it's a slow, and I would say, in a lot of ways, painful process, because I don't process things quickly. It just takes me a while. and so in some ways, it's a battle within my own mind, in some ways it's a spiritual battle against distractions. But the purpose that I, I hope is to clearly as I can, communicate the truth of God's word. And I realized very quickly along the process that I, I couldn't do it alone. And neither could Paul. Because Paul never says, because I was the smartest, greatest theologian in the world, I bring to you this truth. No, he tells us that he toils in the ministry, he labors in the ministry, he struggles like a wrestler trying to pin his opponent or like a runner who's trying to reach for the finish line, not with his own strength, but with this secret energy. Now, I'm not talking about he had an extra couple of cups of coffee or he had Red Bull. But he says in verse 29, for this I toil." listen to this, struggling with all his energy, he didn't say my energy, that he works, power. he powerfully works within me. So listen to what Paul's saying. I'm working, I'm struggling, but it's all the energy of Jesus. It's all his power wonderfully working in me. Do you see what he's saying? It's Jesus who does the work. And where does he do the work? It's inside Paul. And it's a powerful work. Major Ian Thomas, British pastor, preacher, says this, that the Christian life is nothing less than the life Jesus lived then, lived now in you by him in you. So nothing less than the life Jesus lived then live now by him in you. And we start to begin to paint a little bit fill in the picture of what it means to say Christ in you the hope of glory. No, no, there's a lot of people, and, and we struggle with all kinds of different things. We work hard to get rid of things. We, we toil. We try to please other people. We want to prove ourselves, and we want to earn the love and respect of others. And there's some of you that want to forgive. You want to bring healing. But you say to yourself, I just can't let go of this. Some of you struggle feeling you're never, never good enough. You feel you have to be perfect, and and you know inside that you can't, but you keep trying and trying and trying. And there's folks that are addicted to, to pornography, and you feel the guilt and the shame, but you just keep going back. You keep clicking. You keep looking. And you wonder what can I do? Let me be honest. Super duper honest. By yourself in your own strength, you'll never be good enough, strong enough to ever overcome any of those things by yourself. You won't have enough energy. There's not enough willpower. There's not enough safeguards in place. There's not enough accountability that you can provide in yourself to take care of those things. It's only Christ's power working through you and in you that can change that. It's only Christ in us, the hope of glory. So when Paul suffers, prays, and preaches, he always has one thing in mind, because it's the one message he wants to communicate, and that's Christ. He preaches Christ. His answer to every question, his answer to every problem is simply Christ. That's why he says, Him, Christ, we proclaim Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, if you're following that line, (laughs) we're about to come to point number one. Because what Paul came to know and what we're beginning to understand was something that was not always known to men and to women. It was a mystery. And so you see the first blank in there that there is a glorious mystery revealed. That in God's perfect timing, this mystery becomes known to people. And Paul was privileged to be able to preach part of the revelation of this glorious mystery. Now when we hear mystery... Don't think Nancy Drew. Don't think Columbo. Don't think that it's you know, something that's to be solved. Mystery in the Bible is simply truth that can be discovered only by divine revelation. So it's a secret that remains a secret until God reveals it to you. In the book of Ephesians, Paul uses that word mystery to talk about how God deals with the world how Gentiles are included in salvation, and how the wondrous mystery of Christ and his church comes together. So in our passage, what does Paul tell us about this mystery? He tells us that there was one time when it was hidden. It was hidden. People couldn't see it. And he says that time period was ages and generations, eons and eons. So calendar year after calendar year, family generation after family generation... Even though God knew it before the foundation of the world, it was covered up for people to know. Now there were some signs and some hints throughout time. Ezekiel, remember, reminded us in Ezekiel 36 that God would personally take up residence in his people. A shadow of what was to come that Christ would dwell in us by the Holy Spirit. And that he would somehow create a new humanity uniting Gentiles and Jews through the Messiah. Genesis 12 echoes it. Zechariah places in Isaiah that God would bring together both Jews and Gentiles in this Messiah. And he says it was hidden, but now it's been revealed. In the past, it was just an exciting thing to find out that a family member or a friend A couple was having a baby. But now, all the emphasis is not on so much we're having a baby, but it's these extravagant different ways that they reveal the gender of their child. Now, unless you keep that a very closely held secret and don't choose to to reveal that, and they do all kind of great things to do it. You know, they started with candy bars and cigars, and now you know it's full-blown video productions with, with special effects and things such as that. And there's an excitement that builds. And people want to know. They can't wait to know. How much more when the God who created all things begins to break this long silence and reveal to his people through these prophets that he is in the process of making all things new. So what is the mystery? I want to give you um, a definition um, if you have the ESV Study Bible, it is in the ESV Study Bible. Um, this is not in, it was not developed by me, but I think it's concise. It's a little long, and you'll see it on the screen um, when Zach moves the slide up to the next um, slide. It's God Himself. What is this mystery? God Himself in the person of Christ will be directly involved and personally present in the lives of His people. And His presence assures them of a future with Him when He returns. Now that's a very technical way of saying it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. But I give that to you just so as we start we can understand that this secret was not an exclusive secret. Because what was happening in the Colossian church is there were teachers that were going around saying, Hey, we have this exclusive secret. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to be a real Christian, then you need to know these things. There's some way that you can, you can ascend to this higher spiritual plane and know these things. And Paul tells them there is a secret, there is a mystery, but it's not an exclusive secret, it's an inclusive secret. Because he says in John, as many as did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. And that he would dwell personally and be present in his people. And so Paul is beginning to unfold a mystery that's not a secret inside. It's not a philosophy, but it's a person. And the person is the Lord Jesus. So the second thing, and hopefully you can fill these in without even me telling you, but the second thing is Christ in you. So we have the mystery, which is Christ in you. It's Jesus Christ, who he says earlier in the verses, 15 through 20, is the image of the invisible God. The one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The one who holds all things together, the one who is head of the church, dwells in you. Can that just blow you away? The God who created you for everything and holds everything is the head of the church that is over all creation, dwells in you. It's Christ in you. Living in you by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, which Ken read the beginning of, speaks more about what it means for Christ to be resident in you by the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, he says, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and listen to this, and you in me, and I in you. Wow. What a thought. For us to imagine, just to think about, to begin to comprehend for a moment, that You and I in Christ, and Christ in us, dwelling in our hearts by faith. And if you are in Christ today, by faith, Christ is in you. Which means all the blessings of Christ are made available to you. When you're empty, He's your fullness. It's an intimate relationship possible to you. When you feel alone, He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And even get this, He died to be with you. It's access, avail, it's, access it's immediate availability to the Father in Jesus' name. What does that mean? When you call on Him, He answers. It's His power working in us and through us. And like He wrote to the Ephesians, He's able to do far more than we could dare ask or even imagine. And we share in His victory. Romans 8, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because of Him who loved us. But the fruit of this victory is not just for now. There's something more in the future. When Peter wrote his book, he said, Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so the last thing you'll see at this point three there is the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope is simply the joyful Expecting of something based upon fact. It's a certain future that you can take stock in because you know it's going to happen. So we can be joyful now because of something we know will happen in the future. Now when we look at this phrase hope and we look at this phrase hope of glory, we have to wonder where in the world does glory fill in this? Well, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament and thank you, Scott, for singing that song and and nobody in here would know whether you did Hebrew right or not, but it sounded really good to me. Um, it really did. And so I probably don't have enough moisture formed in my mouth to say Shekinah, probably the way I'm supposed to. But the Old Testament expression, the Shekinah, was the visible presence, the manifestation of the invisible God. It was a radiant cloud or A brilliant light inside a cloud, and it signaled what? God was present. His immediate presence was there. So that's the Old Testament. Jesus, when He came, the New Testament is clear. Jesus is the glory of God made visible. The image of the invisible God. And the mystery, the hope of glory, is that God shares His glory with us in Christ a glory that Moses couldn't even look at. He had to see the back side of God. He had to cover his face in his presence. Now God shares treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's because we are cracked, broken vessels in his light. His glory shines through us to show people without a doubt that it's not our strength, it's not our power, but it's his strength, his power working in us. There's a future hope that is reminded Made, we're reminded of constantly because of His presence in us, Christ in us. He's our life, and because He is present with us now, it's like a personal guarantee of an inheritance waiting in the future. Ephesians one fourteen. Listen to this: Jesus is present in us by the Holy Spirit, who has according to Ephesians, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, if we decided to go out this afternoon and buy a piece of real estate, depending on the type of transaction they may require of us to write a check to them for a certain amount called earnest money. And it's a good-faced Gesture that would simply say, I'm serious about buying this house, and I will do all that I can to complete the transaction. God never backs out of any transaction, what He begins, He completes, He is faithful. The God who keeps you safe now is the same God that will gently lead you home. And he took up residence inside of you by faith in Christ to prove it. So the good news, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Present, tense, alive, In Him, continuing to live in Him, and then a future hope where we will be forever in His presence, where the very place of His existence, heaven, will be lit by His glory to the point that we won't need a sun and we won't need any light. And in Colossians 3, verse 4, which we'll come to in a week or so, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Amen? Christ. In you, the hope of glory. A.W. Tozer used to say, your hope is just as good as Jesus. In Christ, hope of glory. Apart from Christ, without Christ, Ephesians tells us what we are, without hope and without God. And so this morning, I want to give you a call ...to action or a campaign of of hope. Political campaigns are in full swing now. And eventually they'll figure out what they're doing... ...and we'll have two candidates to to vote for. But they have platforms, they have agendas, they have promises. There's things that they say they will do. There's things that they say we do need. And I want us to think about, in this beginning of the political season... ...a campaign of hope. And I want to give you three words... I want to give you the word live, share, and pray. First, live. Live. Live in hope. And let me remind you again, it may, I hope it was clear earlier, that this is not about trying to be religious. It's not about more knowledge. It's not about becoming more spiritual. It's not filling your life with phrases like, I have to do this, or, oh, I'm going to do better in this, or I can earn it, I can do it. No, it's a relationship. It's a calling out to God and saying, God, I invite you into the mess that is my life because you're the only one that can clean it up. And so if you're one of those people I mentioned earlier and you're struggling, In some area, you're struggling to heal. You're struggling to forgive someone else. You're struggling with an addiction. You're struggling with pornography. You're just struggling with the fact that you want to be good enough, but you can't be good enough. And finally, you come to the point where you just cry out in your mind, I can't do it. And you know what God says? I know, but I can. And finally, now that I got you to the point that you know you can't do it, I can work in you. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We die a death to ourselves so that we can live in Christ. And we have to face the reality each and every day that we're never, ever, ever going to be good enough. But Christ in us, the hope of glory, wants to work in us and through us to change us and transform us. I read a verse last week with an explanation. I can't even say the word. I read a verse last week and I really liked it. Let's say it that way. Um, I read a verse last week. I really liked it. Let me just tell you that I'd never seen the verse in this light before. But do you remember when Jesus said this? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, if you were like me before I read this perspective, the first thing my mind zeroed in on was the second part of that verse. And I would read it like this. You'll keep my commandments and by that you'll show me that you love me. That there's some, You'll keep my commandments. You'll follow this list of rules and because you follow those rules and you're a good boy or a good girl, you'll show me that you love me. But if you read that with the focus on love, listen to how it sounds. If you love me, if you have a relationship with me and you're not... Religious, you will keep my commandments. The relationship is the engine on the train that everything else follows. If you love me, if you trust me, if you put your hope in me, then you will keep my commandments. Our obedience is a result of our relationship with Jesus. But our obedience will never lead us in that direction. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We're never going to be good enough. We need a relationship, and we always have to remember that it's Christ's energy that powerfully works in you. It's all through what Paul was writing. It's why he was writing to the Galatians. He wanted them to see above all things, the reason I pray, the reason I preach, the reason I suffer, the reason I toil is because there is a power in me that is beyond me. And that power comes from the living, resurrected Christ. You can't do it, but He can and He will. So live. Second, share. We need to be messengers of of hope. Any good campaign has people that are out there on the campaign trail sharing the message. And here's the great news. We don't have to make up a bunch of junk that's not true. We're just simply sharing the truth. Because hope is not a philosophy. Hope is is a purpose person and so when we take christ in you the hope of glory to the places we go we are messengers of hope what does that mean it means talking about jesus who jesus is some of us need to practice saying the name jesus because it doesn't really roll off the tongue very easy it's difficult God sometimes will come into that place and will say Him or something. But to say Jesus in front of others is difficult sometimes. And so we need to practice that. And when we talk about Jesus, we need to share hopeful stories. Talk about what Jesus is doing in your life. This is what, you know, I opened up my Bible this morning. I was reading in in Colossians and this is what Jesus said to me. He said, He's my hope of, of glory. It's about sharing things about what, what Jesus is doing in other places. You hear a really great story about how Jesus is moving or working, then you share it. There's a revival going on in Tennessee that I don't know if many of you even know about it. Life Action Ministries began preaching and there's a a movement of of God moving around in Tennessee where churches are joining in and and gathering together. People are getting saved and God is, is leading churches back to their first love. The church in Iran is exploding and growing in the midst of persecution and hard times, and those are messages that need to, to be shared, that there is work being done all around the world, God's work through Jesus, so share those. Because when we talk about who Jesus is and we share the things about what Jesus does, we take to heart what Romans ten seventeen says, and that's what faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we live, we share, and we pray. Remember earlier I said intercession is bringing people and their needs before God. Two areas I want to give you when we're done. First of all, those that are without hope and without God—people that we would call, we would term as lost, people that are outside of faith—the people that Jesus truly misses the most, and that we can pray for them to come to know the hope that is available in Jesus. But then we can also and should also pray for other believers. And we can pray that they would encounter Jesus in a way that they would have a Jesus awakening or a hope awakening. That they would begin to see more of who Jesus is in their life. And they would gain a larger perspective, a larger vision of who Jesus is. That's why when you read this this chapter this book that's why These verses, verse number 24 through 29, come right after verses 15 through 20, because what is Paul doing? He's painting a picture of this is how big Jesus is. And this Jesus that is this big, bigger than we can imagine, is inside of you. And we can stir up hope in one another through our prayers and through our encouragement. Let me remind you what I said at the beginning. Christ lived in you. Christ in you, lived out through you, brings hope Today and glory in the future. And that is the glorious mystery. We pray. Father, we are grateful that even though we don't understand it and we can barely comprehend it, it's something that we can certainly and surely be thankful for. That you choose to dwell in the hearts of of men and women by faith. And that's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Lord, we truly believe that You are everything You say that You are. And Lord, we ask for Your enabling power by Your Spirit, the presence of Jesus in us, to help us to first live for You. If someone's here today outside of that hope, Um, The message is clear and true that today they can have that hope in you. Simple, trusting faith. For those that need hope renewed, we can find our hope and our rest and our comfort in you. That we would be messengers of hope, taking the message of hope wherever we go. And that we would be prayerful people who pray for more and more people to come to know you and to know your hope. And for those whose faith has been weak, their hearts have been wounded to be reconnected, reintroduced to the wondrous Savior that we love and we serve. And God, we thank you that it's the work you've called us to do, but it's not our power that does that work. That it's your power, your strength, that powerfully works in us. So, Lord, we thank you that what you call us to do, you empower us to do. You give us the ability to do. to simply humble ourselves before you and say, I can't do it. But you can and you will for your glory. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.